Let's open up now to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are continuing our study in the book of Matthew. We find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in there for a few weeks. And today, Jesus is going to bring up the topic of fasting, something I'm sure you all do all the time, fasting. Uh, Since you have such a high degree of interest in the topic, I want to recommend a book to you. (laughs) Uh, This is actually my favorite book on fasting. It's a very short, simple, down-to-earth, incredibly helpful book. It's called God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. I've read it several times. Uh, over the years, really helpful to just understand what are the biblical ba- what is the biblical basis of fasting? How should I approach it practically? What can I expect from it? What are some tools and tips? Uh, how does the Bible speak about it? Really helpful. So, God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. We have a few copies available for you today, and next week at the Ventura campus will be available as well. So make sure you pick that up. The title of the sermon is "The Reward in Fasting." We'll see this come up in our text, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus speaking says in verse 16, And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today that we can put ourselves under the truth of your word. We believe your word to be glorious and wonderful, alive and active infallible and inerrant, true in everything that it teaches and asserts. And we believe that there's real uh, treasure here for us today, that there's a real blessing in your word and in this thing that has come up fasting. So give us understanding today. Jesus, we ask that together you'd give us hearts that want to follow you fully and want to obey you in all things and run hard after you. Thank you for the gift of fasting in the way that... um, dovetails with those things. So give us understanding. Please help me now as I teach and preach for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're not going to deal with sort of the basic point of the text. It's, it's really obvious. And it came up at the beginning of chapter six, where Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before people to be noticed by them, right? Don't do spiritual things in front of people to look spiritual and have people think you're awesome. That's stupid. That's all that Jesus is saying there with that. So we'll move beyond that point. Bible study done, and we will talk about this idea that Jesus brings up of fasting. And why would we ever fast? And what, if any value, is there in it? Because it seems crazy, right, to not eat. I mean, technically, don't you die if you don't eat? And isn't it an American value that we, we, we just don't do that? We don't even let ourselves get hungry, right? Like, I don't even let myself get hungry. I eat preemptively, (laughs) right? I'm like, oh, dude, I might get hungry soon. I better eat. I don't even let myself, that's an American thing. We don't, what do you mean don't eat? And yet it seems to be an almost universal axiom that there is some value in refraining from eating food. An almost universal axiom. Health gurus espouse it all the time. All sorts of so-called spiritualists practice some sort of fasting. Judaism has a long, rich history of fasting, which we have inherited as Christians. Buddhists fast. This week, Ramadan begins, where there will be millions and millions and millions of Muslims fasting for a month from sunup till sundown seems to be an almost universal axiom that there is some value in refraining from eating food. But what we want to know is what does the Bible say about it? And perhaps surprisingly to you, it has much to say about it. And there's a hint given to us in what Jesus says right here. I want you to notice that he said this. When you fast, 
not if you fast. Jesus seemed to assume that his followers would indeed fast. He said, when you fast, not if you fast. And so it appears to be from the outset here that for God's people, for followers of Jesus, fasting is an expected and meant to be a normative biblical experience. That's certainly what we get when we read Scripture. I mean, who in the Bible fasted? Well, Jesus fasted. John the Baptist and his followers fasted. Anna the prophetess fasted. Paul the apostle fasted. All the apostles fasted after the ascension of Jesus Christ. The first elders of the first churches fasted. And of course, back in the Old Testament, Israel had a lifestyle of fasting. Moses fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, King Jehoshaphat fasted, Esther fasted, Nehemiah did so, Ezra did the same, and Daniel as well. So if we look at who fasted in Scripture, it's kind of like a who's who in the Bible. Anybody who's anybody in the Bible fasted. And there are in the Bible over 85 instances of God's people fasting. So the question is, why? There must be some real benefit from a biblical perspective to fasting. It must hold some sort of important word for today, efficacy. Meaning that it produces the intended results. There must be something unique that fasting accomplishes in light of the way scripture presents it to us. Now, what we see in scriptures is sometimes God called his people to a regular fast. The day of atonement comes to mind. But more often what we see is that God's people would fast voluntarily in response to some situation or circumstance or need. It wasn't that God said, okay, everyone has to fast right now. They were facing some circumstance, situation or need. And in response to it, they said, oh, we had better fast. Now, how do we see that unfolding in Scripture? What are some of the instances in which God's people begin to fast? Well, it happens over and over in the Bible that God's people would fast during abnormal or overwhelming or threatening situations where they desperately needed God's help. Abnormal, overwhelming, or threatening situations that required God's help. Can anybody relate? We have those in life. Life is made up of those things. Think of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We have King Jehoshaphat there who is a good king. And we have all these surrounding nations coming against Israel at the same time to attack her. Here we see it in um, the scripture, 2 Chronicles 20. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Munites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram and behold, they are in Hezazon Tamar, that's in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Notice that. Jehoshaphat was afraid. And so turned his attention to seek the Lord. And what did that look like? He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Notice what is happening. There's an overwhelming circumstance, right? The the odds aren't looking good. It's more than they can handle. And the king, the leader is scared. Jehoshaphat was afraid. He said, we've got to seek God. We, we, We honestly need God's help at this moment. We're not going to make it through. And so what did that look like for them? What was their understanding? Well, we had better fast. Look at part of the prayer that he utters in that. Next slide, please. Our God, will you not judge them, all the enemies coming against them? For we are powerless. Notice the situation. They're scared and powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do but our eyes are on you. Good prayer. Perfect example of when to fast. God, my life has gotten to such a place where I'm afraid of the circumstances 
and the opposition. Lord, I feel powerless in the face of what I've got to deal with. And I don't know what to do. So I'm going to turn my eyes on you and seek you. And what does that look like in a particular way? Scripture says it looks like fasting. We see the same thing in the book of Esther. When the king there was looking to exterminate all the Jews and Esther had to go before the king to make a case and that might cost her her life. And she told her friends, we got to fast about this. Believing that fasting would do something in a very scary situation. So it seems in scripture that fasting is a resource that God's people turn to when there seems to be no other hope. The end of the rope, the end of the line, no other option. Another point is fasting happens in scripture where spiritual strength or power or effectiveness is needed for victory or for breakthrough. Spiritual strength, power, and effectiveness is needed for victory or breakthrough of some sort. This is especially true when we are facing evil or opposition. Do we as Christians ever face evil or opposition? Right? Here's a good example of this from the Old Testament. Think of the story from Judges chapter 20. In Judges chapter 19, the tribe of Benjamin had created, uh, excuse me, had committed an almost unspeakable evil in the land. I'm not even going to mention it. You can go read it as homework later on. Now you're finally taking notes. Judges chapter 19, go read what they did. In Judges chapter 20, the rest of the tribes of Israel said, wait a minute, we are not going to tolerate this evil on our land. This is unacceptable. This is not who we're supposed to be as God's people. This is not what we're going to do. Benjamin, we're going to put you in check. And they were going to do so militarily. They prayed and asked the Lord first, Lord, do you want us to go, you know, handle Benjamin? And the Lord's like, yeah, go do this. And so they go up against the tribe of Benjamin and much to their surprise and every reader's surprise, they actually got defeated. And Benjamin, the one tribe, turned them back and now they're on their heels and they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? We are doing the right thing, confronting unchecked evil in our land and we have God's leading and apparent blessing on it, but we're not getting the victory. What should we do? Well, we've got to persevere. So they pray again and they go into battle again and they get beat again. And now they're like, wait a minute. We're doing the right thing, the just thing. We're following God's leading. We've got God's blessing. We're persevering in the battle. We're fighting hard and we're still not getting the victory. What should we do? What do you think they did? They declared a fast in the land. And they fasted for a little bit and they went into battle and they immediately got the victory. Right thing, God's leading, hard work and perseverance, didn't get the breakthrough, didn't see the victory until they laid hold of the resource of fasting. Isn't that interesting? Think about in Matthew After the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, some of the disciples were up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and they they saw him in glory and they come down from the mountain and a man came to him and said verbatim, you need to help my son, he's a lunatic. Some of you can relate. (laughs) It meant then that he was demon-possessed. So the guy brought his son to the disciples and now the disciples had cast out demons before. They've been taught by Jesus to do so, trained by Jesus to do so, and commissioned by Jesus to do so, to cast out demons, to confront evil and opposition. And they're trying to cast this demon out of this boy whose father deemed him a lunatic, and they were unable to do so. Wait a minute, what's happening? Peter, James, John, what's going on here? We've done this before. It's the right thing. Jesus told us to do it. He authorized us to do it, but we can't, we're not, we're not effective in this instance. Thankfully, Jesus saves the day and comes walking along and casts the demon out of the boy. And the disciples are like, Jesus, what, what, what went wrong? What happened? Why were we able to do this in the past? But now it doesn't seem that we could be effective. And Jesus said in Matthew 17, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There is certain evil. There is certain opposition in our lives that requires a certain resource. Fasting. 
in this instance. In fact, God says explicitly that fasting is a tool to break evil in our world. Look what he says in Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. So there are times in life when evil seems too strong, when it appears to be going too far, when the opposition seems to be too great. We can't deem it such until we've laid hold of this great resource of fasting. Other times, now turning the page a little bit in our mind, other times God's people chose to fast when they had wandered from him and were needing to return. Can anybody relate to that? Oh, fewer volunteers now, huh? If nobody wants to... Okay, there's one. Okay. When they had backslidden and wandered away from the Lord and needed to return to him in the life of Israel, this involved fasting often. Look what it says in Joel. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there's time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping and mourning concerning their sin. Don't tear your clothing in grief. Don't let it be a merely outward show, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not to punish. Look at that. God's people, as we often do, had wandered far from him. They know they've got to return. They hear the gracious invitation from God. Return to me. Come to me. And come with fasting. There was something there that was meaningful. We see it again in 1 Samuel. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord to serve him alone. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So they gathered to Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted that day, right? Not a long time, a day. They fasted that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. So God's people sometimes chose to fast and were sometimes called to fast by God when they knew they had drifted from God and his will for them and they wanted to, in their hearts, return to the Lord and repent of their sins. Even sometimes when there was general like drifting from God in culture, think about in the book of Ezra. Ezra at one time was mourning over the fact that his people were unfaithfully handling marriage. Think about our own nation. Ezra was upset that his people were unfaithfully handling God's view of marriage. And so what did he do? He fasted wanting to see some sort of breakthrough, some sort of return there. Think about Nehemiah. When Nehemiah had inquired after the exile of how those who were left over in Jerusalem were doing, and he heard about the walls being broken down, the gates being burned, and the, and the people, the remnant that remained there languishing, he responded with fasting. Look at Nehemiah. They said to me, the people that returned from looking at Jerusalem for him while he was in Persia, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Pause right there. For many of us, that's a metaphor or a picture of our lives or our families or relationships or our culture. Great distress and reproach. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned. It's one of the, like, everything is just wrong. Verse 4. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We also see in scripture, and it's alluded to there, that oftentimes fasting accompanies praying to make prayer more effective. We see them often go together. Fasting accompanies prayer to increase its effectiveness. See this explicitly in the book of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, 
Uh, Ezra is leading some who were previously exiled to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And they've done that. They've rebuilt the temple. And now he's on a mission to bring back some of the utensils from exile back to Jerusalem to go to the temple so they could reinstall the religious life of Israel there. And these utensils, as you know, were golden utensils, very valuable. And they would be traveling through hostile, foreign, perilous lands. And they would have their families and their kids and all of this important God stuff with them. It was a dire situation. So how do we see Ezra and the people of God respond? Then I proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us and our little ones and all of our possessions. So we fasted and sought God concerning this matter and he listened to our entreaty. Then we journeyed from the river on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem and the hand of our God was over us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes along the way. And we see fasting spoken of all the time this way in Scripture, that it seems to be used by God's people in desperate times to increase the effectiveness of prayer. Do you ever feel like in prayer you're just banging your head against a wall? There is another resource available to us for the effectiveness of prayer, this thing of fasting. Do you ever feel in your prayer life or your life with God that you're desperately wanting to hear from God, but it seems as though heaven is silent? This is also where fasting comes in. It seems that fasting not only makes our prayers more effective, but it makes our ability to hear from God increase. Did you know that Elijah when he had the famous moment with God where he heard God in the still small voice on the mountain in 1 Kings 18. You remember that? We all know that phrase, the still small voice. He was fasting at that time. He was seeking the Lord and fasting and he heard the still small voice of God. So it would seem from all these instances that there is a resource that has been given to us by God, seldom perhaps employed by us that is efficacious, there's that word again, so we'll define it, the ability to produce the desired or intended result in a way that nothing else is, when nothing else is working, when it seems as though we've hit a dead end, we're banging up against a wall, where heaven seems silent, we have this gift, this resource. Okay, you say, I see it, I see it working that way in Scripture. But we want to know, why does it work? I mean, Britt, you're telling us not to eat, bro. I mean, why? How does it work? Like, how does an empty stomach bring spiritual breakthrough? I don't get it. How does it actually work? And I'll say this. There is, on the issue of fasting, deep mystery. Scripture gives us the facts People did it and it worked. Doesn't give us the details as to how it worked exactly. There's deep mystery here. It gives us the facts. It happened. It doesn't explain them. Gives us the what went down, not the why it goes down. There's some mystery there. Now, 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 listen to me. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a believer in God, If you're going to be a student of the Bible, you're going to have to get comfortable in mystery. If you're one of those people that you have to be all like, organize and put it all in, you're going to have a hard time with God and with the Bible. G.K. Chesterton said, if God were simple enough for me to understand, he wouldn't be great enough to meet my needs nor worthy of my worship. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. There's some mystery as to why fasting pushes back evil, brings deliverance and victory, increases effectiveness in prayer. There's some mystery there. I know how it doesn't work. It doesn't work like some political hunger strike, right, where it forces the hand of God, where God is like, she's not gonna eat. Dude, we just gotta do what she wants. We we just gotta do what she wants. Michael, she's not gonna eat. Peter, what? 
She's not going to eat. Dude, she's going to die. We, we got to do what she wants. That's not how it works. It's not a strike. It's not a power move that's forcing the hand of God. There's some beautiful love, spiritual mystery that we didn't invent, but rather that God has ordained, that we have been invited into. And Jesus said it explicitly in our text. Your father who sees you will reward you. There's a reward as we've been learning right now. There is a reward in fasting. Jesus said it explicitly as to why it is largely a mystery, though we can perhaps speculate a little. I think a reason why fasting seemed to make the difference in those times in the life of Israel and in certain times in our lives is because it has a humbling effect on us. Fasting has invariably a humbling, or is meant to have, a humbling effect on us. Hunger and the ensuing physical weakness that comes reminds us that we are but dust, that we are frail, and that in and of ourselves we lack the strength and that we were meant to depend upon God. Hunger and the ensuing weakness reminds us that God is great and we are not. That he's our ultimate resource that we need to press into and rely on. Look what it says in Psalm 109 about this. But you, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for your namesake. Because your loving kindness is good, deliver me. Right, here's the psalmist in trouble again. For I am afflicted and needy and my heart is wounded within me. I'm passing like a shadow when it lengthens. I'm shaken off like a locust. Pause right there. He's saying, God, I'm in overwhelming circumstances and I already feel weak. I mean, I feel, I feel thin like a, sh- like, a, like a shadow, like a bug that's gets shaken off a tree. I, I feel like nothing here. Now, the natural response would be, well, I got to make myself strong. I got to do some power moves. I got I to find some strength there. Look what the psalmist does. The psalmist makes himself weaker. 24, he says, my knees are weak from fasting and my flesh has grown lean without fatness. Help me, O Lord, save me according to your loving kindness. Isn't that counterintuitively interesting? Our normal response would be, I feel vulnerable here. I feel frail. I feel thin, like butter spread over too much toast. I got to somehow make myself strong. But the psalmist is aware of the spiritual resource in which he actually makes himself weak. And somehow in that is accessing the help and the strength of God. Isn't that interesting? And it has to do that weakness with humility. It is not meant to be merely a physical thing. It is meant to be a humbling thing. The same psalmist said elsewhere in Psalm 35, I humbled my soul with fasting. I think part of the reason that fasting is powerful is because it humbles us before God. I humbled my soul with fasting. Now, somewhat strangely in Scripture, an abundance of food is often connected with pride and sin. Somewhat surprisingly, an abundance of food is connected with pride and sin. So going without then leads us toward a sort of humility. Look at what Moses warned Israel of in Deuteronomy. He said to them, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry. Fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew. That he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Then he would go on to say later in the chapter, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, look at this. When you have eaten and are satisfied, 
and have built good houses and lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, when you get to the American dream, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Isn't that interesting for us? There's this connection between an abundance of food and a pride that forgets God and eventually sins against God. I'm like an abundance of food guy. I mean, that's like my gig. An abundance of food. Again, I eat preemptively. I'm reordering backups before the waitress has even put it down at the table. She brings out, I'm like, that's not going to be enough. Double that. Isn't that an interesting connection? Did you know that one of the times that God was complaining about Sodom, do you remember Sodom, that city from which we get a word? One of the times when God was complaining about Sodom in Ezekiel 16, he did not mention their sexual immorality. Rather, he said of Sodom, they were arrogant, had careless ease, and too much food. That's like the last thing on the list we would ever mention about Sodom. But in God's mind, there's some connection there. They were arrogant, had careless ease, and abundant food. So abundant food is sometimes connected to pride in Scripture and a pride that forgets God and sins against God. Therefore, going out out without food is sometimes connected to a humility that remembers God and obeys God. A biblical understanding of fasting is that it produces and accompanies humility before God. It's exactly what Ezra said in his difficult situation. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river that we might humble ourselves before our God. Now, why is that important? That is important because humility invites the grace of God into our lives. Humility invites the grace and the resource and the work and the presence of God into our lives. Look what it says in Isaiah 57. For thus says a high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. Right? God is high and exalted. And also, he says, with a contrite and lowly of spirit, that's a synonym for humble, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Look what God says. I am high and exalted and holy and other, but I am also present in the lives of the humble. James takes it and makes it verbatim explicit in his book. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That is true. Come close to God and God will come close to you. That is true. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And grace, grace is what is needed in times where the enemies are overwhelming, where the circumstances seem to be too much, where the opposition appears to be too great, when we've exhausted every other resource and option and opportunity. Grace, the grace of God is what needs to come to us. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, this humility aspect of fasting is exactly what the hypocrites that Jesus was referring to in our text in Matthew missed. They saw fasting as an opportunity to go high, to look good in front of others. If they were on Instagram, they would have posted a selfie of themselves fasting, looking sad. But in fact, scriptures tell us, fasting is an opportunity to go low before God. 
not to go high in front of others. Our natural impulse in difficult times is to go high, right? Is to look for, just to make ourselves strong and to fortify ourselves. But God is calling us to something that is not natural, but supernatural. And it's not normal, but it's abnormal. And therein lies the power. Both mysteriously, God honors and does something. And practically, it does this work in us of humility. And practically in this sense, you know, think about it like this. Fasting is largely an issue or matter of resourcing. Fasting is largely a matter of resourcing. Are we going to resource the flesh or the spirit? Because there's a battle that goes on between the two. Think about Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the spirit And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So there is this battle that's going on between our flesh, right? The the, the sinful nature and the spirit, our own spirits and God's spirit that is in us. The part of us, our spirit that relates to God's spirit. And what we generally do in life is attend to the flesh. We're actually very careful to attend to the flesh. I'll speak about a duality here. The flesh both in its innocuous form, like what's hanging off your bones right now, and in its insidious form, the flesh, the sin nature that's contrary to God. Right? We, we generally pay a lot of attention to both of them. Think about the innocuous flesh. I mean, what do we do? If it's cold, we put a jacket on it. If it's hot, we find a way to cool it down. When it's hungry, we feed it. If it's uncomfortable, we shift. If it needs paint, we paint it. Whatever it is, we generally give a lot of attention to this flesh. We have taught this body, you get what you want when you want it. Not only that, but the deeds of the flesh, the insidious flesh nature, so to speak, that part which is contrary to God. We often give great attention to it. That is why Romans chapter 13 says, don't make any provision for the flesh. In the same way that you make provision for this flesh when it's cold or it's hot or it's hungry or it's uncomfortable, we often make provision for this flesh when it's lustful. Well, let me find something to lust after. When it's greedy, well, let me find something to grab for. When it's angry, well, let me find a place to vent. We give a lot of space and attention and do a lot of nurturing and pampering to this whole flesh thing. And what fasting is, is a matter of resourcing. Are we always going to resource the flesh or are we ever going to stop and start resourcing the spirit, our spirit that is alive to God? So if we spend all our time resourcing the flesh, and not much time resourcing the spirit through spiritual things and spiritual practice, practices where we're built up in God. Well then, in the moment of conflict, guess who loses? The one who's had the least resourcing. We've been telling the flesh, you pretty much get what you want when you want it. Meanwhile, we allow our spiritual selves to become emaciated. No prayer, no Bible study, no worship, no giving, no sacrifice, no seeking of the Lord, no fasting. And we're surprised that we lose in the heat of these battles. Fasting is a matter of resourcing. It's a time when we can, by abstaining from food, tell the flesh, no, you actually don't always get what you want. It is a way that we can put the flesh and check. And there is real power in self-denial. It affects the whole of our lives. There is real power in self-denial. Jesus said, if you want to follow after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Fasting is a component of that. But it is a component that affects the whole of our lives. Sometimes your flesh is just out of control and it needs to be put in check. And I have found as I'm sure some of you have found, that when you fast, when you gain self-control and discipline in the area of this very basic need of food and eating it, 
you will find that you now have discipline and self-control in other areas of your life. Lust, greed, pride, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. I have found that when I tell my flesh, you don't get this, this food thing, I abstain from that for a while, that I have self-control newly discovered in all these other areas in my life. It's a wholesale effect that takes place when we deny ourselves in that way. In fact, I, I was surprised to find in Scripture that there is a strong connection between unrestrained eating and sexual immorality. Look what God says in Jeremiah. Why should I pardon you? Right? This is obviously his people who have blown it and they're coming and saying, oh God, we blew it, forgive us. Why should I pardon you? Your sons have forsaken me and sworn by those who are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the harlot's house. They were well-fed, lusty horses, each neighing after his neighbor's wife. Isn't that interesting and awkward? (laughs) There's some connection here between our well-fedness and our other lusts. Some deep connection. God is at work doing something when we break the pull and the power of this basic thing for a little time of food. God is doing something in us that has a wholesale effect in the area of self-control. And as Christians, we are called by the help of the Holy Spirit to live disciplined lives. Look at the way Paul spoke of it in 1 Corinthians 9. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium are all racing? Otherwise, why would they be in the stadium? But only one receives the prize. Only one wins. So he says to us, run. This is a metaphor here. Now it's talking about our spiritual life. Run in such a way that you win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, a stupid trophy. But we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, he says about his self-discipline in his life, therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control. Not easy to do. We need the help of the Holy Spirit for that. We need to practice discipline. We need to have the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. And we have this resource of fasting where there is a wholesale effect on this area of discipline and self-control in our lives. And then also it has this effect, you know, fasting opens up an avenue for spiritual examination and reorientation. Why? Because this this thing of eating is so basic to us. It's such a real need. It's so basic that the moment we deprive ourselves of it, it upsets our equilibrium, so to speak. Right? Like, this is insanity. What do you mean don't eat food? The moment we deprive ourselves of it, and we're meant to eat food, it upsets our equilibrium so that we kind of find ourselves off kilter and now open to and sensitive to different things. There comes into our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit a new attention to our spiritual lives for examination and reorientation. And we are open to a different way of being and a different form of sustenance. Man does not live by bread alone. But we seldom discover a different form of sustenance when we are always so quick to sustain ourselves with everything that is readily available. I have found when I fast that I experience a greater spiritual awareness and sensitivity. Almost immediately, one meal in, there is a heightened awareness and sensitivity to the things of the Spirit, to to the Holy Spirit, but also to evil present in my own life. 
or around me. I find when I fast that there's an increased readiness for God, an increased readiness for God. It's telling my inner self something and I'm, I'm wanting to respond to God in a way I normally don't. I find that when I fast, I have a renewed spiritual and moral strength. I need that. New moral strength. I find a significant sensitivity, a much greater significant sensitivity to my own sin and sinfulness when I'm fasting. And a better ability to hear from God. Like Elijah in 1 Kings 19. I said 18 earlier, it's 19. The still small voice. Seems it's just a, a clearer channel to hear from the Lord when I'm fasting. And I have often found and practiced fasting when I need strength for new callings or difficult endeavors. God is calling us to something really hard, which is a normal part of life. Fasting, there's strength discovered in that. So hopefully by now, some of you are saying, hey, I I maybe want to try this fasting thing. That doesn't sound too bad. So a a couple helpful hints. Practical help. Number one, why? should you fast? Don't just fast because you heard a mediocre sermon about it. Don't just fast because you thought, oh, well, now this seems, yeah, I mean, it's a good argument. I can't not fast now, but like actually have a reason. That's the way it went down in the Bible. If God didn't call someone directly to fast, they did it in response to, you remember, overwhelming circumstances or needs. So is there anything going on in your life that is overwhelming, that is difficult, where you need victory, where you need breakthrough, where it feels like you've been pounding your head against the wall, where it seems that you've come to the end and there's no other resource? Then maybe there is something there to fast about. If there's not, enjoy it. Nothing to fast about, praise God. Eat food. (laughs) But if... And then secondly, ask God. Right? Don't just assume. Ask God. God, this is, this is going on in my life. This is overwhelming. This is fearful. I need clarity here. I need strength here. Should, should I fast? Is that something that you would have me do? Is that a resource for me right now? And then start small. Don't start with a 40-day fast. Start small. Maybe a meal. Well, you can do that. Maybe. Maybe a snack. Start with a snack or secondsies, or whatever. Just start small. And then I want to encourage you to get over the humps. There will be humps. So if, if you choose to fast for a day, let's say, the first meal is going to be easy. You're going to have all this spiritual zeal and this Christian thing, and you're going to be like, I'm going to do it, no problem. The first meal is going to be a breeze. By lunchtime, you're going to be like, hungry. This is what hunger feels like. I've never felt this. I don't like this. It's going to get difficult. And by dinner time, you're like, nope, I'm out. Just how can I go to sleep? I just got to go to sleep. There's going to be this hump at dinner time. That's the hardest part is getting through dinner time. But if you can somehow knock yourself out, you'll actually feel better in the next morning. You'll wake up, you won't be that hungry. The next meal will be easy, the next meal will be easy. You'll actually get through a couple of days, you'll have gotten over this hump. And about the fourth, third, fourth day, there's another hump. And you're like, okay, this is now entering the realm of the ridiculous. But if you'll get over that hump, the interval of the next hump will be about double that. And it will continue to be that way. And once you get out past a couple of weeks, you're like, food, stupid. There will be this experience with God in your life. This strength, this resource, this renewal, this awareness, this sensitivity. Food will seem like a very small thing. And your body, by God's grace, will adjust. Get over the humps. But then, you know, be intentional about it and actually spend time seeking the Lord. I mean, if, if you're just like, okay, I'm fasting. I'm not going to eat, so I have some extra time. I'm going to catch up on every single season of Downton Abbey. 
if that's your plan, I don't know if it's going to accomplish what God would have it accomplish. I think there is in scripture some intentionality. Like I'm fasting and seeking the Lord. Fasting is part of seeking the Lord. That's okay. Maybe you'll watch some movies while you're fasting. Maybe you'll go surfing while you're fasting. Whatever. You still have to have normal life. But some real intentionality. It's not just not eating. It's actually pressing into Jesus as your sustenance. Some real intentionality. And then have some expectancy. Jesus did say your father who sees will reward you. And the testimony of scripture is that victory and breakthrough and deliverance and renewal and restoration come through this resource. Have some expectancy. God is going to do something good here. So where do you feel hopeless and defeated in your life? You're not to the end yet. Have you fasted? There's another resource available to you. So maybe a challenge for us. What if, what if, if the Lord were leading you had a reason, what if this week you fasted for one day? Sun up to sundown. Wake up, have a midnight snack, that's fine. Sun up to sundown, fasted for one day and set aside some extra time to seek the Lord that day with whatever is going on in your life. I have a hard time believing from scripture that we would ever be disappointed or even close to it if we did that. I think God would meet us in wonderful ways. Remember that Jesus said, I am the bread of life and he's enough to sustain us. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for the instruction of your word and this exhortation. Thank you for this wonderful gift of fasting. Now, Holy Spirit, you who searches the mind of God and you also know our mind and our hearts, lead us in these things. Save us from silly legalism and religious performance. Bring us into a faithful place of seeking Christ, his kingdom and his purposes through this discipline and this gift you've given us. Teach us about it. Lord, we've had a little primer, a little beginning today. Teach us. We want to see evil pushed back in our lives, in our families, in our community. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to experience the reward that the Father has for us. So lead us in this, Lord, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.